It's a crazy time in the world of crypto, so who better to speak to about this than Ken Moore, Chief Innovation Officer of MasterCard. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. The following is the first part of a two-part interview with Ken. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much, Roger. Delighted to be with you. So first off, uh, what does the Chief Innovation Officer of MasterCard do? <laughs> great, great opening question, Roger. Thank you for that. And and if you imply that it's by that question that it's a super fun role, you're you're absolutely right. Um, so 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 what do I do? Um, I try to look at the future, Roger, really from kind of two lenses. One is around changes in end customer or consumer behavior, and the second one is really more around technology. What does technology make possible tomorrow that isn't possible today? And having understood those two lenses, I then try and build new products and services. So do everything to take an idea right through to a production grade product, create a new product line, a new service line within MasterCard and spin that out of my organization into the product groups who will then scale it globally. So that's really, I mean, there's a few other parts to it, Roger, but that's really the essence of my role, looking at the future and turning that into the products and services that will position both MasterCard and the clients that we serve against uh, against the opportunities that that future highlights. All right. Well, that that's a nice summation of, of your role. Uh, obviously, I mean, that means looking at a bunch of tech trends. The one trend or topic I want to talk about, at least first, uh, is, is one that had been up until recently, absolutely sizzling, and that's of course cryptocurrency. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious, sort of, where you see crypto playing in the financial world going forward, especially in the context of sort of the the recent crash and these investigations and the exchanges and just uh, the market being rattled overall. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean. Like the rest of the market, we're watching the recent volatility in the digital asset space really, really closely. I mean, in many ways, Roger, I think it's somewhat analogous to what we saw back in around the year 2000 with the dot-com bubble bursting. That didn't kill the internet. In fact, what actually happened is better, stronger companies rose out of it. And that may well be what we're seeing with crypto here at this point in time. We could see issues like speed and compliance and resilience and safety and security being addressed coming out of this crash, and therefore companies, uh, better companies emerge the other side. For for us in in Mastercard, um, I mean our crypto strategy still remains very very strong. Where where we can certainly still see the potential for blockchain for digital assets and and the associated underlying technology. In, in fact, I think we believe we can help um, actually address some of the challenges, um, and hence, you know, we're really still supported. On, uh, sorry, we're still focused on supporting crypto flows and enabling consumers to buy crypto, spend with crypto, cash out from crypto, and even earn rewards with crypto. We're still offering, and we will continue to to build out the portfolio of crypto-related services that we can provide to both traditional players and to crypto-native players like fraud management, identification, and some of our acquisitions like Cypher Trace and others, you know, increase the, the, the level of product and service that we can bring to bear there. We're still open to carrying um, select digital currencies on our network, provided they align with our principles. Um, and we're, we still see a need and, and, and frankly are excited by the opportunity to enhance our brand presence in the crypto space through comms and partnerships and, you know, and, and, and other things. So, 
you know, I, I don't think this is a is a crypto winter, Roger. I, I think it's a correction that actually could increase the strength of the industry over time. And that's why I'll make that analogy back to the dot-com bubble. And that, that is a good analogy. We'll see where things go from here. Obviously, it feels like there's a bit of a reckoning for the, 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 the huge surge in value and interest uh, around crypto. You, you, you talked about enabling or, or allowing you know, your customers to use crypto, to spend crypto, to earn crypto, um, basically treat it like any other currency. I'm curious if how how popular is that? Like how broadly adopted is crypto, especially as a form of payment? Because I, I know it's popular as an investment vehicle, but do folks actually, you know, buy and sell things using crypto? And like how how readily or how broadly used is that feature on MasterCard? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, you're right to infer that the primary use of crypto is still as an investment asset class. So people buying crypto, selling crypto for the for the purposes of a monetary gain. You know, at, at, a, at an approximate level, um, about 95% of the flows in crypto still fall into that category with about 5% being more you know, payment related uh, transactions. So it's still relatively small from that perspective, uh, Roger. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to throw another tech buzzword at you that's crypto related on this. It's NFTs. Uh, I can barely wrap my mind around them, um, yet it was something <laughs> everyone was talking about the last year, right? I- I'm curious what you think about NFTs. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I like NFTs, right? I, I think they have a place. Uh, at its simplest level, you can you can think of them almost as a you know digital receipt for a for a physical or probably more likely a digital good or, or service. And um, and by being able to attach identities and establish ownership of goods and services, I think it opens up new economies, new ways of working, and, and new ways of kind of sharing value and unlocking things like loyalty. So for us, we think NFTs are really interesting. I, I don't see that going away. Um, I think clear use cases will start to emerge around how we can embrace uh, NFTs, and, and we'll want to get behind some of those, Roger. And in terms of what MasterCard is doing with NFTs, because I know, I, I think I've seen some from you, but just curious if you'd break down how you're playing in the NFT area. Yeah. So, I mean, at one level, the, the most obvious one is we're enabling people, we're enabling people to buy NFTs, right? Um, uh, from their uh, crypto assets are from um, their um, their traditional kind of payments cards. Um, the we're exploring NFTs ourselves and how we can how those can be relevant as a reinvention of loyalty. So, how can your association with a brand, the business you do with a company? Um, how can the company show your value back through an NFT that maybe allows them to differentiate the service they give to you either in a digital world or in a physical world, right? Where your NFT provides access to maybe an event that you weren't able to get into otherwise. So at one level, we're we're helping people to, to buy NFTs in a safe and secure way. And at another level, we're looking at NFTs within our own business and how we can use it to create new solutions, new products for ourselves and our customers, loyalty being the example there. Okay. Okay. But I'm just just curious. I'm going to throw it out there. When, when, you started hearing, when, you hear, when you started hearing about NFTs, was there a part of you that just went, this is all BS, right? 
<laughs> well, for, for somebody like me, Roger, I mean, I'm excited by generally by, by technology. My background is uh, the applications of technology, and it's it's also around organizational psychology. So I, I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I am naturally, um, you know, biased towards the opportunity that new technologies give us. Um, I, I'm like that with augmented reality, virtual reality, quantum, um, you know, Web3, uh, machine learning, the whole gambit. And I would include within that NFT. So but what we try to do is we recognize that sometimes technologies can be individually very, very important, but sometimes the value of a technology is not in the technology in isolation. It's more how does that technology come together with other technologies to create outsized impact? Uh, let me give you an example of kind of some of what I'm talking about there, um, Roger. I mean, if you, and this, I appreciate this moves you a little bit away from, from NFTs, but um if you look at 5G, you look at you know 6G, which is in the labs, it's not on the street at the moment. Um, if you look at um, kind of you know a more censored world, you start uh, um, by censored world, I mean a world that is more instrumented and has sensors in a lot of devices. If you look at at quantum and its current state of play and where it's likely to be in a couple of years' time, you can start to kind of put together the different technologies, and you get to a point where you go, okay. In a few years' time, I, as I walk down the road, I will be able to sense more about the world around me. 5G and 6G will give me the um, bandwidth and, and, and a reduction in latency to enable me to interact with it. Advances in AI will give me the ability to make sense of it. And advances in quantum will give me the ability to be able to actually make decisions and recommendations in real time. The reason for explaining that is that sometimes when you look at NFTs, you have to look at it in the context of other technologies that sit around it. And it's the composite effect of these technologies that sometimes really can drive kind of the, the you know, the more material changes, Roger. Okay. Um, that That's well put, the idea that this is a, a more of an orchestra put together these little pieces working together. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned, you know, there's some of these other trends and I do want to talk about 5G because I always talk about 5G on this podcast. But uh, one other uh, one other term you mentioned is Web3, which I think for our listeners who don't quite understand is really just sort of a shorthand for what people believe to be the next generation of the internet and one that's a bit more decentralized. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on Web3 and how MasterCard would play into this form of the internet if, if it comes to become if it becomes reality. Yeah, sure, sure. So you're right. I mean, Web three or, or Web five, right? Depending on whether you're on a Bitcoin stack or an Ethereum stack, is really a. a, a um, a vision for a decentralized version of the internet where consumers own and, and have control over their own data. Now, we think this one is, is really interesting and, and, and directionally might be a way in which the world goes, but there's also quite a lot of challenges that are out there with it at the moment. And, and many of those challenges could be overcome through investment and focus and et cetera, but, but they still need to, to, to be overcome, right? So, and you have to ask yourself some really fundamental questions. Do consumers really want to be custodians of their own data? Right? You know, if if their data is on their device and their phone and they lose it, do they really want that data to be gone? 
Right? The if you look at the experience of stepping into a Web three world today, and I have well, I, I won't even tell you how many, but I have a few Web three wallets, right? And I'm a pretty technical person, and, and even I find it quite hard to step into that world. I think it's hard to scale that until the experience gets a little bit better so that my mom or my son or my aunt or my friends could step into that world without the same level of technical fluency that, that I actually have. I also think that um, you know some of the Web3 companies that are emerging I mean, at one level, it almost like looks like a re-centralization rather than a decentralization where, you know, through the, the kind of tokenomics of some of those firms, they, they actually may recreate some of the digital wall gardens that exist today. So I don't think we're going to stay where we are today in, in Web 2. I think we're going to move some way. Um, I could see a hybrid model emerge where we have levels of centralization partnering up with levels of decentralization. But I, but I wonder, Roger, is there another way as well here? Because, you know, when I look, if you look at the aim, right, to put consumers in control of their own data, I think it's really interesting that we've done something similar to that through open banking by putting consumers in control of their transactional and balance data. And they choose to make that available to a third party in exchange for the service that that over-the-top fintech player is providing to them. So I wonder, are there other models that actually could help us achieve the same aim, uh, end here, that, that decentralized, um, you know, is the decentralization of the internet really the way to go? Or actually, is a hybrid centralized, decentralized, possibly using open banking as a kind of a foundational model? Would that be a better way to go and maybe a simpler journey for us to take? I think it's a, you know, it's an interesting question. That wraps up the first half of our chat. You can check out the next part on Monday. If you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.